0: in my life. Um, just give me one moment and we can pull up everything that needs to be pulled up over here. I guess it's over here. One more time over here. okay. Um, tonight's class was dedicated. By Ray Shigalov, Yossi and Ray, Rabbi Yosef and Ray Shigalov, and this is in honor of Ray's granddaughter Tavi's birthday. Tavi is one of my students, she tells me, who's been listening to my class since she's two years old. Baruch Hashem. I'm excited that it's her birthday this past Shabbos on Test Tavis. Mazel Tov to her first and to her parents, the Greensteins, and to her grandparents, the Shegalos, and may Tavi have a really, really, really good, good, good the geben, ge, year, a really blessed year. Shnas Natslacha, with a lot, a lot of good growth, and, and your parents and grandparents should see a lot of nachas from you, and only, only wonderful things. Thank you so much for that dedication, that special dedication, not a dedication... Um, This is really last year's, last week's dedication was in honor of Chana Liba Nathanson's birthday, but there's a few more birthdays in the family, so we're going to add that on connected to this week's dedication. Um, Shlomo Nathanson, his birthday, Yael Nathanson, it's her birthday as well, her daughter-in-law. Sadia Kaufman, their son-in-law. Yossi Nathanson, a grandson on the 27th. And Maya Nathanson. Another grandson. And then there's a few yard sides Zelda Bas Chana Liba, her grandmother on the sixth, and Malka Chana Bas Yosef's, Rabbi Ruvein Nathanson's mother. Um, all those who have a birthday should have a Shnas bracha those who have a yard side should have an Alias Neshama. And thanks to the Nathanson family for their constant, strong, and wonderful good support. Okay. Um, we are about to begin this week's class. And it's an exciting class because we are living in exciting times. We're living in very unique times and very special times. And um, this class this week, let's take a look at what's going to happen in the end of days. Well, parsha's Zvayachie is perfect Parsha because it talks about the end of days. And we are living in the end of days. So it's exciting to learn the parsha and see if we get any clue about the end of days. So this is interesting. In this week's parsha, it mentions explicitly one time in the parsha the end of days. Rashi mentions it twice. Perek Memtes, chapter forty-nine, pasuk Aleph, verse number one, by Revi'i, by the fourth reading. It says, Vayikra Yaakov El And Yaakov summons his sons. He calls his children, Vayomer, and he says to them, Hey, Osfu, gather together, Vagidulachem, and I will relate to you, Esashayikra Eschem, that which is going to occur to you, Vaachris ayamim at the end of days. Everybody gather together. He calls his son. Yaakov is laying on his deathbed. And he's calling his sons together he says, I'm going to reveal to you, I'm going to relate to you, everything that is going to occur to you at the end of days. doesn't say everything, he says, that which will occur to you at the end of days. So Rashi says, on the words, what does it mean I will relate to you? So the famous Rashi, legalois essa Yaakov wanted to reveal the end days. Simply, whenever we say ge- kates, it means, the time when Moshiach is supposed to come. Yaakov wanted to reveal this to his children. The And the Shechina departed from him, the divine presence in which Yaakov was always on Pon Yaakov, in which Yaakov was able to say prophecy and uh, reveal secrets. This divine presence went away from him. And Yaakov started saying other things. So... We are told that there was a moment that someone wanted to reveal. Our father Yaakov wanted to reveal that which has mystified and that which had uh, always been a subject of, of of wonder, of great wonder and great desire, the secret of all secrets. Such a powerful secret which has been such a mystery for so many years. Uh, Yaakov wanted to reveal this secret, but the secret was hidden from him. shechina, the shechina went away from him. Very interesting. Rashi makes the same comment, a very similar comment to this, right? In the beginning of the Parsha, because all the way at the beginning of the Parsha, Rashi, the first Rashi, Rashi is bothered that the beginning of Parsha's Vayechi, the Parsha is connected to the previous Torah portion, Vayigash. And if you look in the Torah, there is no space between Vayigash and Vayachi. Every Torah portion, which begins, a new Torah portion, is a little space. There's actually a space between each paragraph in Torah. Whenever you have a pey or a Samach, there is a space. But here you have a new Parsha in the Torah, and yet it's very hard when you're reading in the Torah to find actually where Vayechi begins. You have to look carefully because there's no space to indicate that something new is starting. So Rashi is right away explaining why is this different than everywhere else. Over here there's no space. So Rashi says three reasons. The second reason Rashi gives is because another pshat, another reason, another explanation. Yaakov wanted to reveal the secret. Lebanov to his sons, Venistam Nishtam it was hidden from him. So Rashi seems to say the same thing, that it was supposed to, or meant to be, at least from Yaakov's desire, a desire to reveal the secret of when Mashiach comes, the end of days, and then it was hidden from him. Okay, Now this idea, that Yaakov wanted to reveal this great secret, is already, even though Rashi is not specifically saying that so do our sages say, So whenever Rashi makes a statement and he doesn't say it's coming from the sages, that implies that Rashi is not necessarily deriving it from the sages. Rashi is deriving it from the simple interpretation of the apostle. Yet, this is something that is discussed in the Talmud, in the Zohar, in the Medrish, in various different places, this idea is discussed. So what I'd like to do is reach for you a few of the sources in which this idea of that Yaakov was ready to reveal. You say, spill the beans, reveal the secret. And then, from the last moment, Yaakov stopped and he didn't reveal the great secret of secrets. So we open up the Psachim, Tractate Psachim, Nun Vav, page 56, on the first side, Amid Aleph. So the Gemara says like this, um, the Gemara is wondering whether we say Baruch Shein Kavod Mach, when we say the Shema, Every day we know that we say the first verse, Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, Hashem L'okeinu Hashem Achod, and then we continue with the next verse, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuso Liolam Vod. Blessed is the name of His glorious kingdom forever and ever. Now, anybody who learns Chumash is going to wonder. If you look in the Chumash, it says Shema Yisrael, Hashem L'okeinu Hashem Achod, and it doesn't say this verse, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuso Liolam Vod. This is not a verse in the Chumash. This is derived from a pasuk elsewhere. I don't know right now. Where the, where the verse Baruch Shem comes from, or if it's even a Pasuk, I think it is a Pasuk. Whatever it is, it's a, it's a phrase. So where does it come from? It doesn't come from Chumash. And we know that we're supposed to, Hashem instructed us to say the three portions of Chumash that make up the Shema, the reciting of the Shema. These are verses of the Torah. And now we're adding in a Baruch Shem. So the Gemara is discussing this idea of why we add the Baruch Shem, even though it's not stated openly in the Chumash. So the Gemara says, the reason why we add it is because ben like Rabb Shimin ben Lokish says, Shimin bin Lakish, it says, Yaakov called his sons, and he says to them, gather together and I will relate to you. What did Yaakov want to relate at that very important moment at the end of his life? Bikesh Yaakov Yaakov wanted to reveal to his sons Hayomin.'" the end of days or as rashi explains it kets ha-yomin, the end of the right side it's interesting in daniel i think there's two verses one of them we know in the book of daniel and daniel it is one of the places where it discusses the end of days and over there it uses the term kets ha-yomin, and also kets ha-yomin. same word but either you've concluded you're finishing or concluding the word with a nun, or with a, a a conclusion, a concluding nun, or you're concluding the word with a mem, a a a nun or a mem, and that will de, and that will decide if the word is Ketzayyamim, the end of days, or Ketzayyamin, the the end of the right side. Why would so? What does it mean? There's a lot of Kabbalah discussing this. Zoar Zohar talking about it. There's a lot. Just in the simple meaning, Rashi says. The meaning of Kei Yamin is, what does it mean, the end of the right side? When the Jewish people went to exile, God hid his right hand. The right hand of Hashem is God's might, his power, but mainly the power of kindness. And his right hand is the power of divine revelation. Because the right hand is Chesed, and Chesed is to reveal, to be open with someone. So during the time when the Beis Amigdash was standing, God stands in a state of revelation in the world. There is Gilu Yalokus, there is godly revelation. From when Hashem took the Jewish people out of Egypt until the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, there was divine revelation. But when the Gallas came, and the enemies of God came in and destroyed the temple, burnt it down to ashes, exiled the Jewish people, and brought such, inflicted such pain and destruction in the world, this cannot happen if God's presence is openly felt in the world. So the pasuk says in Tehilim, um, maybe not in Tehilim. I'm not exactly sure where that pasuk is. Hold on. Um, I think it, I think it's an Eicha in Lamentations, and then over there it says Heishev Achar Yeminoi, that Hashem put His right hand behind His back. Heishev Achar, He took His right hand, and He pulled His right hand. Hei shiv achar, he pulled his right hand behind his back. So if Hashem put his right hand behind his back, it means that Hashem folded up his right hand and hid it from the world. Hashem went and he hid his right hand from the world, meaning that God is not anymore revealing himself. So when the world is full of darkness, And for how long, since the time of the destruction of the temple, close to 2,000 years, Hashem's right hand is behind His back. And that's why it seems like a godless world, a jungle, where anybody can do whatever they want. It's not true that way, but it looks that way. When Mashiach will come, there will be an end to Hashem's right hand being tied behind His back. That's the meaning of Kates hayomin. That's what Rashi says. So so. Yaakov wanted to reveal to his children when is going to be the end of God holding his right hand behind his back, which means when is the time of concealment going to end and the time of revelation going to begin. And what happened? The Nestal Komimenu The Gemara says at this time the Shechina departed, the Divine Presence departed from Yaakov. Then it says that Yaakov then was worried. Does that mean that maybe there's something wrong with my children? You see, he wants to reveal it and communicate it to his children. The shechina departed from him, not allowing him to communicate it to them. So he thought that must be that there is some imperfection amongst his children. So he thought maybe there is some something wrong with, with his bed. The bed is an implication for your family, for your children. And he thought, the reason why he thought that there might be some kind of a blemish, because that's what happened with his father. Avram had a psil, had a blemish in his descendants, Sheyatzim emmenu Yishmael. Yishmael came out of him. other Yitzchak, and my father Yitzchak had what? Sheyatzim menu Esav, who had a son like Esav. So now, both my father and my grandfather had a blemish in their family but I thought that wow that we finally purified everything and now all my descendants are tzaddikim Amr loy so his son saw how worried Yaakov became so his son said to him no 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 we are perfect in our faith in God we believe in God there is no there is no doubts in our mind there is no impurity in our souls and they called out to Yaakov Shema Yisrael listen Israel listen our father doesn't mean Yisrael the Jewish people It means, listen, Daddy. That's what they're saying. Shema Yisroel, listen, Daddy. Shema Yisroel, listen, our Father Yisroel. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem, our God, is the only God, meaning we don't have any idolatry in our hearts. Our hearts are complete with God. And they said, Just like in your heart there's only oneness, So to our hearts, there's only oneness. Okay, but When Yaakov heard that, what did Yaakov say? Oi! Baruch Hashem. So when Yaakov said Baruch Hashem, and the way Yaakov said Baruch Hashem was with this, with this phrase, Baruch Hashem K'vod the Le'olam V'yed. So Yaakov responded with that phrase. So that's why it became tradition by the Jewish people that when we say the Shema, we don't just say the Shema, we also say Baruch Hashem. Because Yaakov was the one who inserted this pasuk, Amru um, Rabanan. So the Rabanan later said, "Hey, So what should we do? Namruhu? Should we say Baruch Shem when we institute the reciting of the Shema? Should we say Baruch Shem? Lo Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say it. Lo Namruhu. We shouldn't say it because when Moshe and the Chumash doesn't say the pasuk Baruch Shem, we shouldn't say it. But then Yaakov. Omru Yaakov, Yaakov did say it. So what did they do? kinu they instituted, Shei oimrem oise we should say it silently. That's why we say Barak Hashem. So we're saying it and not saying it. We're not saying loud, like the rest of the Shema, but we are saying it quietly, because Yaakov did say it. And the Gemara goes ahead and brings an interesting marshal to this, uh, with analogy, a parable, to a daughter, to a princess, that she had smelled... One time, you know, there was cooking going on in the kitchen and she smelled from the bottom of, that they had, the bottom of the pot had onions and, and, and potatoes that got stuck to the bottom of the pot. And it was making the burnt smell of the onions and the potatoes were making such a good smell. And, she's, she's, and she's, a, she's a princess. She's generally used to only really, really fine foods. But there is something about french fries that has sometimes a smell. But it's not really food for a princess. It's food for the people hanging out in the kitchen. right? It's not meant for a noble, but she smelled it. In the end, if she would say that she wants it, there will be a shame that she's a princess and she's eating the, the, the onions at the bottom of the pot. She's eating the onions and the garlic that are at the bottom of the pot. She won't say, it's bothering her a lot, she wants it. So in the end, what happened? Her servants, she, told, she let the secrets out to her close servants, and they started bringing it to her quietly. At night, every, every, the kitchen was closing down. They would scrape the bottom of the pot, take it up, and they would bring it to her. Ah, now she's happy. So that's the idea of Baruch Shem. Obviously, there is very deep secrets over here, and Chassidus talks about it. It's awesome secrets and amazing ideas, which we studied already in other classes. I'm not going to go into it right now. I just wanted to bring you the source of the idea of what Rashi says over here, that Yaakov wanted to reveal the secret, and it was hidden from him. Now, that's one source. That's the Gemara. It's also in the Medrash this week in the Parasha, Parshas VaYechi. The, the Medrish says it's slightly different. Seemingly, similar, the same thing. <laughs> that which will happen to you in the end of days. That what, what did Hashem show? What, what did Yaakov tell his children or want to tell his children? No, not that he wanted to. But according to this, he actually did do it. He showed them the fall of Gog. In the end of days, it's predicted some great war against the Jewish people, against Jerusalem. The war of Gog and Magog. It was referred to by many as Armageddon. So he saw the fall of Gog. And like, like he brings the verse, He showed them the building of the, of the temple. Um, which is the ultimate building. There it also says, It will be in the end of days. See, the Medrash is using the words wherever it says, What is it referring to? the mountain of the house of God will be established. Rabbanan and Omar, the rabbi said, he wanted to tell them the date when Mashiach is going to come. And his and Emenu, it got hidden from him. Two people, it was revealed to them at the end of days. And by both of them, it was hidden from them. Who are there? Yaakov and, Dan- Yaakov and Daniel. And he brings that it got hidden from him. Fine. You, if you notice, there's a little difference. The general idea, is the Gemara says, the same like the Medrash. The difference between the Medrash Rabbah and the Gemara is when it says that in the end, Yaakov, it, 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 he didn't do it, so something was hidden. In the Gemara, it seems to imply that Yaakov didn't forget or, or it became concealed in his own mind. The Gemara says the Shekhinah went away from him. So when he saw that the Shekhinah went away from him, he realized that he's not supposed to say it. But he still remembered and knew Yaakov, so to speak, passed away knowing the secret. He didn't lose it. From the Medrash it seems to imply that it was actually taken away from Yaakov as well. It says, mi Mimeno, it was hidden from him. Rashi, interesting. Actually in our parsha says both. In Rashi over here in this passage where it says, I will reveal to you the secret. Rashi says, as a He wanted to reveal the, the end of days. Rashi says, shechina. And the Shechina went away from him. Let me read it again. Yeah, Rashi says, Let me just read it. Um, shechina. The shechina went away from him. However, in the first Rashi, where Rashi says, uh, hold on. Um, he wanted to reveal it, it was hidden from him. So you see that Rashi over there is quoting Medrash, and over here Rashi is quoting Gemara. And the simple reason is, Rashi in each place, Rashi is so perfect, in each place Rashi is explaining what he is deriving from the pasuk. You see in the beginning in the, of the parsha, over there Rashi is trying to explain why there is no space between vayachi and Va'yigash, last week's parasha and this week's parasha, there is some, there is no space, which means there is some concealment. The space is missing. There is something being blocked. Oh, there is something being blocked from who? From Vayechi Yaakov. Nothing to do with his children. From Yaakov's life. So from there, Yaakov derived that there was some kind of blockage in Yaakov's own soul and Yaakov's own mind. So there, actually says it was re- it was hidden from Yaakov. However, by us. Where it says in the pasuk, "Gather and I will reveal to you," vagida to you. So over here, there is no proof that it got st- it got Yaakov himself lost that revelation. So over here, Rashi says that what the Shekhinah the went away from him, so he knew he can't reveal it to his children. I quoted to you two sources. This idea is also spoken about in Medrash Tanchuma this week and in Yalkut Shimoni, and it, and they use different, uh, a little bit different languages. Uh, for it, but it's the general idea. Um, now I want to share with you a, an amazing, interesting kanim from Balei Okay, one of the commentators from the Tosvos, from the Roshonim, and he says over here, when Yaakov wanted to reveal the, the thing, and the Shekhinah went away, so from the Gemarat it seems to imply that Yaakov sensed that what? That there's something wrong with his children. He thought that there is, like he said earlier, he thought maybe his family is incomplete, just like his father and grandfather's family. He thought that there must be a sin amongst them. But what perturbed him and bothered him, he said his children are incapable of a sin, because the word sin in Hebrew is made up of the two letters, ches and tes. And if you go through all the names of the shvatim, there is neither a ches or a tes. Both these letters you don't have in any of the shvatim. In Shimon, Levi, hudi, Yisach, and God, naftali, Dan, Asher, Yosef, and Yamin, there is no, and even of Ephraim and there is no and there is no tes. So Yaakov says, there is no sin amongst you, you don't have the source of sin, you don't even have. So then he was, But, but, but they, what was the answer? You know what else? You know what else they don't have? In their names, they also don't have a kuf, and they also don't have a tzaddik. So the word kates they don't either have. Kates means the end. So that's what he says. True, they don't have any sin, but it seems like, let alone sin, it's not about sin, for whatever reason, the kates, which is the end of days, cannot be revealed to them, because they don't have the kates, the kufa, the tzaddik, either in their name. Just a very interesting idea. However, what, what, um, what we do want to explore today, is as we said earlier, that Rashi does not bring this from a midrash. Rashi seems to imply clearly that he's deriving this from the simple meaning of the Pasuk. So what I'd like to do first, before we get deeper into this whole idea, I'd like to figure out just on simple, on the simple level, why is it that how do we know from our Pasuk in the simple meaning that ya- all it says in the Pasuk, come and gather and I will reveal to you that which will occur to you at the end of days. How do we know from there that Yaakov wanted to reveal this great mystery of when Mashiach has to come? Now, obviously, the first answer you're all going to give, he says explicitly, I will reveal to you that which is going to happen in the end of days. So he uses the term end of days. So that means he's going to reveal the end of days. However, first of all, he doesn't say, I'm going to reveal to you the end of days. He says that which will occur to you in the end of days. So there's two things. First of all, who says end of days must mean the coming of Mashiach? we find the term "achrisayamim." Rashi uh, in, in, in Pasha's Balak, when Bilam tells Balak, when Bilam tells Balak, the king of Moab, let me tell you what this nation is going to do to you by in the end of days. Over there Rashi says it means what King David is going to do to them. What David, that's not the end of days. So you see that the term "achrisayamim" doesn't necessarily have to mean the very, very, very end. Secondly, the other thing that I was hinting to before I was beginning to uh, emphasize earlier, is that it doesn't say, I will reveal to you the end of days. He says, I will reveal to you that which will occur to you in the end of days. Maybe there were certain prophecies that certain things that were gonna happen during that time. How do you know that he wanted to reveal the act? And like we take to see, Yaakov did reveal. In the blessings that Yaakov goes on to tell his sons, he blesses each of the tribes with prophecies, and especially Yehuda, he blesses him that Mashiach is going to come from his descendants, and he speaks about Mashiach's kingdom. So you do have uh, things that are going to happen at the end, end, end of days. So who but who, but who says that he actually wants to tell them the secret of the coming of Mashiach? Where does Rashi take that? It could be other things about what's going to happen in the end of days. So to understand this, the you um. We look in and we take a look at the at the two at the two Psukim. See, when you look in the first Pasuk, it says, Yaakov, Yaakov calls his sons, and he says, A osfu gather together, and I will re- and I will relate to you that which will happen to you at the end of days. Fine. Then he continues the next Pasuk. He coughts gather gather together. Veshimu b'nei Yaakov, and listen to sons of Yaakov. Veshimu as Yisrael avichem, and listen well to Yisrael your father. So do you realize there's a repetition over here in two Pesukim? The first passage he says, he calls his children, he says, Ha'asvu, gather together, v'agid alachem, and I will reveal to you, that which is going to happen at the end of days. Then he calls them again, and he says, He'kavtsu, gather together. He uses a different term. Before he says, asvu which also means gather. He means again gather. Hold on. You sat already in the last pass, gather and I will reveal to you something. How come he tells them again, he koftzu, gather together, vishimu b'nei Yaakov and listen b'nei Yaakov. I mean, you could possibly say that since we're going to give blessings over here, the pasuk is kicking in with poetry. And in poetry, sometimes you'll have repetition language, but um, you, it's being that it seems a complete double psukim, it's not just... Repetition in one verse, but it's mamish two double, a a complete extra pasuk. And in the first pasuk, it doesn't say at all what he said to them. In the second pasuk, you know what he said to them. In the second pasuk, in the second pasuk, he says, "Gather, listen to what Yaakov, what listen the children of Yaakov, and listen to Yisrael, your father. Listen to me." And he goes on to to speak to give the blessings to his children. The first three sons he rebukes, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. The other one, he gives them big blessings. So we know the content of what he said, listen to your father. But in the first pasuk, it describes that he says, get together, and it doesn't say anything that he said to them. So what is it that he's saying? From this, Rashi derived that there must be something that was wanted to be said, and for whatever reason, Yaakov, it was aborted. He didn't say it. And that's why he begins again, gather, because now I'm going to tell you something else. Now why would something have, why would that, whatever that needed to be said, um, uh, be aborted and not, and not go according to plan? Why didn't Yaakov say anything? You could say, well, see, you could just say that Stam Yaakov gathered them and he told them, and maybe he told them, he told them a secret, but the Torah is not saying it. Why would the Torah start... Why would the Torah tease us and tell us that Yaakov said something to his children and it doesn't even say what he said? So obviously, from Pshat, it implies that whatever was meant to be said was not said. Because if it was meant to be said, the Torah would have told us what was said. Again, we see clearly in the Psukim that there were two gatherings over here. Gathering number one and gathering number two. Gathering number one, for for some reason, did not come to fruition. So why Rashi is bothered? Why didn't gathering number one and the transmission, that which he was going to tell them, did not come to communication, it did not come to, to for him to say it. it, didn't come to realization? So Rashi says, because Yaakov wanted to reveal the secret of the, when the Giyul is going to come, the redemption is going to come, and the Shekhinah went away from him, and that's why he didn't reveal it. However, this doesn't really, really completely answer the question, because you still can ask, you can still ask the question that, wow, maybe... Okay, I understand that there was a secret that needed to be said, but how do you know which secret? Maybe there were more details about the end of days. And again, and you know the secret is something to do with the end of days. But maybe it was some other secret that was about the end of days. How do you know that it's the secret of Ma'mash Mashiach? When Mashiach is going to come? And the answer to that is... Again, this, this answer that we're giving now is not mamish based on simple pshat because I'm using a Zohar for this. It's not, it's not simple pshat. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says an interesting idea. He says in Zohar it says in Zohar it says that there are three words that are used for speech. One of them is called Daber, Dibur. The other one is called amira and the other one is called Hagada. It's actually a Zohar this week in the Parsha, Right over here. It's a Zohar by, these, by this pasuk, Vagida come. I looked up the Zohar. So the Zohar says that there is Amira, and there is Haggadah, and there's also Dibur. What's the difference between Dibur, Amira, and Haggadah? They all mean to relate, to speak, to say something. Like Vayomer Hashem, Vayadaber Hashem, or Vayagaid. Moshe, what's the difference? So the Zohar says like this, Dibor means words of the mouth. Ladaber means to speak with your mouth. Amira means to say in your heart. Amira is believe in the heart. doesn't necessarily mean words that were verbalized, like it says in the Megillus Esther, Vayoymer Haman Beliboy, and Haman said in his heart. So Amira can mean inside a person's heart. And finally, Haggadah the Zohar says, however, whenever it uses the word Haggadah, that means, that means secrets of wisdom. Very, very great. So, therefore we know that when Yaakov says to the children, it means a great secret. But let's go a little deeper. What do we mean? The difference between deeper speech, Amira, and words of the heart, and deep, deep secrets. The idea is as follows. Words of the heart, I'm sorry, um, words of the mouth, or even, which is dibor, or even amira, which is words of the heart, are things that relate to the external element of the human being. Speech of the mouth for sure can be external. We know how many words are constantly coming out of our mouth, and they're not necessarily relating to who we are in our deepest place. We say so many silly things and unimportant things. Now, when you're talking in your heart, heart is already a deeper place. It means this is something that is touching you in your emotions. It's an inner, more inner place. But that doesn't necessarily mean it relates to your Pnimi Yesh your very, very identity, your very, very deep, deep, deep place of you. Because we find sometimes that even a heart, even emotions can be external. A person can get caught up in external emotions that are inconsistent with who they really are in a very deep place. We see it clearly where Rambam is halacha, very, very, very important halacha. We spoke about it many times. That if a person for whatever reason um, is in a situation where they don't want to do what they should be doing. In other words, according to the mitzvah, according to the halacha, they ought to be doing so and so, but the person doesn't want to do that. Sometimes the based in the, the court, has the authority to coerce the person by various different means and to force this human being to compel this person to, do, to comply with the court. Rambam talks specifically when a man is withholding a divorce from his wife, when he's when she deserves or should be getting this divorce, he doesn't want to give it to her. There is a halacha that the basin is allowed to exert force and even to the point of beating this individual until he gives this get. Okay? That's what it says in the Gemara. Now, um, but we know the halacha is Ramam is perturbed. We know the halacha is that what that a get, that a divorce that is given, that is that is not with the will of the husband, the get is invalid. It has to be with his will. So how can you force it? So Rambam says that Allah is, we force him until he says he wants. But that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, he's only saying he wants because you're beating him and he wants you to stop the beating. So Rambam tells us a stunning thing. Rambam says that deep inside every Jew, there is a will and a, power, a strong desire to do whatever God wants him to do. To do the right thing. This that sometimes we find that the person is not... Um, complying with God's will, and it's not only externally in their in their verb in their in their words. <laughs> you can see that they passionately. This man wants to make his life's his wife's life miserable, and he wants to hold on to her and not let her have a divorce. He wants to torture her. So obviously, this is an emotion. This is a feeling. Yet Rambam tells you that's not his true desire. That's not his penimiyas anafish. That's, that's, that's a momentary, that's an external, that's an outer. That's not, this person is not synchronized with his deepest will, but in his deepest will he wants to do what the Torah wants him to do, and what God wants him to do. So you beat him until you remove the external barrier, and you reveal the innermost. So you see that what? That even conversations going on in a person's heart don't reflect the inner human being. That's as long as you're dealing with dibor or amira. But when it comes to the word agada, agada means secrets. Secrets means the deepest inner secrets of the soul. That's what we're talking about. Our God is things that are relating to you at your very core. Like we find, where do we find something? I this Chazal say an interesting thing. The Chazal say, if you want to come to recognize God, If you want to recognize the one who spoke, and the world came into being, if you want to become familiar with God, Learn Agada. Learn Agada. Learn the stories of the Talmud. Learn Medrash. Later, that can also mean learn Chassidus. Learn the inner inner elements. Why? Because Medrash, uh, Agada, Chazal. These things they convey the deepest secrets of the soul. They connect you to the deepest. Because that's Agada. 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 Agadata. That is from the deeper deeper elements of 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 the Torah, which. Relate which connect the deepest element of the Jewish soul to the deepest innermost of God. If that's the case, if it says in our Possek that Yaakov says to his children, huddle together, get together, vagida, and I will give you something, he doesn't say, I will vadaber, I will speak. Agida, that means Yaakov was saying something from the secret, secret of his being, from the innermost. And what is that? The secret of all secrets relating to the tachlis of everything, to the ultimate purpose of everything, and that is the coming of Mashiach. So that's the secret that Yaakov was now about to reveal. And that's how we know this from from the question is, however, if that's the case. So so it's also interesting The Kliyakar says, based on this you can also understand what the Kliyakar is saying, he says that in the first pasuk it says, Ha'asva, gather together. The second one, it says, he kaftsu. So again, the, what we're saying now is that in the beginning, Yaakov wanted to reveal this very deep secret. Then it didn't happen, so he started giving the other things. He started giving blessings. Why, however, so what's the difference between the word, he us? Uh, uh. so that's why in the first puzzle it says he Usfu doesn't just mean gathering. It means to huddle together. He kaftsu means just to gather. He says, because at the, the beginning, Yaakov wanted to reveal such a deep secret. A secret like this, you don't let it run on the street. It's a who huddled together close to me. I'm going to reveal to you a deep secret. For whatever reason, that didn't work out. Because the Shekhinah went away from him, and then the Yikovs. And then he says, okay, so now you can just gather together. I want to speak to you as a gathering. But now the question is, it says the Shekhinah went away from it. For whatever reason, God did not want him to reveal the secret of when Mashiach was going to come. For whatever, we will soon speak about it, but for whatever reason, God did not want this secret to be revealed. So it says what happened, the Shekhinah went away from him." But here's a problem. If the Shekhinah departed from Yaakov, it means gone is prophecy. So if prophecy is gone, how does Yaakov continue? And all the blessings that he's given, it cannot be that those blessings were not given with divine, with, with Hashem's... With divine inspiration, or else the blessings would be just human blessings. The blessings had to be given because God is dwelling upon Yaakov, the Shina's dwelling. Actually in the Zohar, when the Zohar is describing the Saasuva Hagidu, the Zohar in the Parsha says that at that time Avram and Yitzhak joined Yaakov. It was only Yaakov there. Avram's neshama and Yitzhak's neshama came to to reside together with Yaakov. It was an extremely powerful moment. This is the last moment of the avais of the fathers before the children are going off into exile. So Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov are all gathered together. And the Shechina has a perfect Merkava, a perfect chariot, because we know that Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they are the chariot. So the Shekhinah came down to reside right over there. And what happened? As soon as Yaakov opened his mouth, and he said, I want to tell you what's going to happen, the Achris Hayamim, in the end of days, a fascinating Zohar. The Zohar says, Achris Hayamim is something related to the Shekhinah, because the Shekhinah is called end of days. It, now, I'm just giving my own interpretation, because the Shekhinah, is the one that sits together with the Jewish people in the exile. And she alone, she has to go through the suffering till the end of days. So once that happened, the Shekhinah departed. Why? The Zohar says an amazing thing. Because the Shekhinah did not want to become sad. If there would be a revelation of when the exile would end, that would bring an atzvah, that would bring a saddening to the Shekhinah. Because we're going to soon see the long duration of the exile. So the Shekhinah went away. But if that's the case, so, so then how does Yaakov continue? And how does Yaakov go ahead and give all the blessings which include tremendous prophecies as we spoke earlier, to, by Yehuda especially, and even by Shimon and Levi, which is a rebuke. Though there too he's referring to events that are going to happen later without divine revelation. How is Yaakov seeing all of this? And what's the power and the potency of his blessing? So what does it mean the Shekhinah went away? So you can say, the Shekhinah went away Yaakov realized what happened, so then he called his children disperse. Then he called them back again, like we see in the next puzzle. Then the Shechina returned, and he started giving. Well, that's a simple way you can learn. But really there's something deeper. When it says, Nestaokom emenu Shechina, it doesn't have to mean that God, that the Shechina, the Divine Presence, totally left Yaakov. Shechina means communication. The Shekhinah is the level of God that communicates into the world. Shekhinah, as we learned so many times, is from all the ten attributes, it's the last attribute called Malchus. It's the attribute of God that is imbued within the creation. And the Zohar says, Malchus Peh. It's the mouth of God. It's the words. It's the osios. It's the words. That's why it's Shekhinah is what is communicated to the world. When we say, shechina, it doesn't mean that the Shekinah left Yaakov, What it means the power to communicate the redemption, this particular thing that Yaakov wanted to communicate to his children, the date of when Mashiach is going to come, this particular communicative skill went away from him. In regards to this, he didn't lose his power to speech in regards to anything else. He lost his power to be able to take this idea, articulate it in words, and communicate it through his lips. That he couldn't do. He couldn't verbalize it. That's the meaning. Shechina went away. The ability to be shochen this idea, to nest this idea into them. But for everything else, he remained. He remained with it. This particular thing left him. This fits very beautiful. This is a word from the again from the Lubavitcher Rebbe as he's learning this Rashi. However, this fits very gishmak with something that I saw from the Holy Rujaner. It says in Yalke and I, again, the Rujaner, I'm not sure, brings this Yalke but it says in Yalke one of the Medrash, that when it comes to Mashiach, this is such a deep secret, that afilu liba lepima lepume galya. even the heart does not reveal it to the mouth. That means, this is a, this is a knowledge that is a very, very deep knowledge but it's a deep knowledge that remains in the heart that cannot be communicated to the mouth. It almost seems to imply that even to God's mouth, it's not revealed. It remains in the heart. So this fits very good. The Ruziner says an interesting thing. On this pasuk, the Holy Ruziner says that, that, um, that uh, there is a certain name, permutation, a certain name of God, it's called the Yichud, where you say various different names of God to create a certain permutation of God's name, that if you have in mind that permutation, the secret of the redemption is revealed to you. Of course, I couldn't say this, but the Ruzhiner uh, is one of, one of the club. So he says there is a secret name of God. When you know that, you can know when Mashiach comes, you can know the final redemption. He says the Balshemtov knew it, my great-grandfather, the Mezrit Shemagid, Reb Behr, the successor of the Balshentov, also knew it. And then the Rishon continues and he says, And there is one tzaddik alive in our days who also knows it. Didn't say it himself. But he said there's one Sadiq alive. However, even though they know it, they cannot bring it to their mouth. They can't communicate it. It's a secret, but it's not a communicable secret. Now there is a short little discourse from Rav Shneir Zalman of the Yadi from the Balatanya in Sefer Hamaimarim Admor Hazakin HaKtsarim in the short Maimarim there is a little thing called Kates where he talks about the Kates and maybe based on what he says over there you can understand why this is not verbal this cannot be articulated. He says because when you talk about Kates he says the Kates is not something that you can point at a certain moment at a certain time, because even the ultimate case when Mashiach comes is something that kind of moves around. Why? Because we know what the sages say that there is something called beitah and achishena. Achishena means when God speeds up the redemption because the Jewish people do tshuva and God brings the redemption immediately as soon as we do tshuva, like the like Elio met Mashiach. Sorry, Reb. Reb, Reb um, Rabbi Shua ben Levi met Moshiach and he said to him, when are you coming? And he said, um, I'm coming today. And then Rabbi Shua ben Levi was very disappointed. Moshiach didn't come. And he met Eliyahu anavi and he said, he, he deceived me. He said, so he said, no, you didn't get what he means. He said, today, if you hearken in my voice. And bekoi tishmo, if you do tshuva. Good, so there's something called Achishana. But then there's something called Be'ita, on the right time. But the Alter Rebbe seems to be saying that even the Be'ita, even the set time when Mashiach comes kin chas v'shalem be moved from place to place doesn't necessarily have a set time why? because it's dependent on the Jewish people completing the task of elevating all sparks so it could be they throw the altar Rebbe says an amazing thing it could be that there was a certain case which was beheld it has to be at a certain time that's based on the evaluation of what the tzaddikim see it requires how much time it needs to reach all the sparks of holiness possible however chas as a result of sins in which we cause we gain a lot by elevating sparks, but at the same time we have a setback and certain things recollapse again. And therefore it causes the kate to move back and back and back. So therefore he says you can't really say a kate. So therefore it's all the and that were said were true, but at the same time it's possible that there were setbacks that set them back. And therefore he says, the problem however with revealing it by a big tzaddik like Yaakov Avinu, since Yaakov Avinu is a Navi, he's a prophet, once he says it with his mouth, so then he forces the geula to come on that time, and then the geula is gonna come, chas and the job is not finished. And you can't have a geula when the job is not done, because you cannot let tumah, impurity remain in the world. So therefore it cannot be put into the mouth, because once it's put into the mouth, anything that's put into the mount means it's fixed already. It's already stated. Tzadik goes there. Tzadik decrees. It can't be changed. So at that moment, God makes Yaakov Minu forget. Okay? So this is, this is an explanation. As we're saying, for the, uh, for, the, um, for the departure of the Shekhinah. But again, let's go back to that. So what does Shekhinah mean? Shekhinah means the ability to communicate, which Yaakov lost this ability when he came to transmit it to his children. Somehow he could not communicate this. However, the main question in the shir tonight is what we didn't deal with yet. And the question is, why would Yaakov in the first place be interested in revealing the kites? Well, we didn't discuss it all. What would be the benefit? There has to be a benefit by revealing the kites. And it doesn't seem like to, to, re, to reveal the end, the end of days that there should be any benefit. Let's think about it. Yaakov was living when? Way back, <laughs> and before the exile of Egypt. Okay, It's a very, very long time ago. Obviously, the kates that Yaakov was going to reveal was the true kates. If it was the real, real kates, or which kates? It, says, I mean, it didn't happen yet. If it didn't happen yet, so we're talking about, let's hope it happens in the year 5777. Seven, seven. I'm all geared up. Okay, if you're listening to the last classes, you know that, gangho. we're ready for Mashiach. I think it's happening right now. We'll still discuss a little bit at the end of the class. So I believe that it's it's, it's, it's Mashiach is, 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 is here. Okay, so let's say 5777. Seven, seven. Now if we would have gotten that information when Yaakov revealed it to his children, do you know how long that ago that was? Let's see. The Jews went out of Egypt in the year... 2448. Now Yaakov lived, the, Yaakov went down to Mitzrayim 210 years bev- before that. Okay? Th- but this didn't happen as soon as Yaakov went down to Egypt. Yaakov lived in Egypt 17 years. So what you have to do is make 2448 minus 210, whichever year that comes out, 22 something, plus 17. So I did the math on my calculator. I'm not doing it right now because I didn't take any notes when I give this year. But what I do remember is when you make when you figure out how much it is, it's actually 3,522 years ago. was when Yaakov had his children gathered around him. Now imagine Yaakov telling his children that Mashiach is going to come in 3,522 years from now. And until now, until then, let me show you what's going to happen. He would show them the Jewish babies and Jewish people being built into the walls of Egypt. He would show them the massacres, the brutal, the ten, the ten tzaddikim being killed, the ten martyrs killed by, by Rabbi Akiva, where they're combing his blood, where they're taking Rabbi Khanani ben Trajan and they're wrapping him in, 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 in a Torah. He's showing him the brutal millions of Jews that were killed in the massacre and the, and the destruction of the first base, Aminish, like the Gemara, second base seminar, as described uh, Chazal. He would show him the, the crusaders, all the shuls that went up on fire, jam-packed with Jews. He would show him the inquisition of Jews being burnt on the stake and tortured to death. He would show him the programs. He would show him six million going up in flames. He would show him all this and the terrorist attack yesterday in am Four innocent, beautiful Jewish uh, uh, children murdered. And all of this... And what is this supposed to do to the morale of the Jewish people to know that this is going to take 3,522 years? Gewalt! Horrible! What kind of possible gain can there be in revealing this? Why would he do this? Actually, the Dharma for should that say that that's the reason why Hashem Taka took it away from him. Because you wouldn't gain anything. You would only make everybody super depressed. We said even earlier... What did he say earlier? That the, that the Shekhinah became depressed. Didn't want to hear it. The Shekhinah ran away because he didn't want to hear it. Because of the, of the sadness that this can bring the Shekhinah. So what kind of sadness can it bring the Jewish people? This would be horrible. By the way, the Ruziner just to add, the Ruziner says, which cates did Yaakov want to reveal? Let's ask, which cates did Yaakov want to reveal? Did he want to reveal... You can't say he wanted to reveal the case of Achishena, the earlier time when Mashiach can come. Because that has no date. That whenever we do tshuva, it can happen every single day. If the Jewish people do tshuva, every single day Mashiach can come. So there's no date. Obviously, he wanted to reveal to the, to, to the Jewish people the very last time. No. He says, you know, the Ruzhanah says something so powerful. He says, that would be shameful to Israel that it takes so long for us to get the job done. It would be embarrassing and shameful to Jewish people. And God does not like when the Jewish people are shamed. So the Shechina left, don't embarrass my children that's really amazing and the source of that is again it seems to be in the Zohar also because the Mefarshim of the Zohar is saying the Zohar that I said before that the Shekhinah would become sad the Zohar and the Mefarshim explained that the Shekhinah would see the Pagam of the Jewish people how long it would take to fix and to rectify we've got to be so careful God forbid of ever of ever slandering the Jewish people and saying bad things but that's another discussion back to what we're saying over here the question I'm asking you tonight what possible gain oh so, the Kliokar says that that's the reason the Shekhinah went away from him. Because he says, what that would do is that would make the, the earlier generations all despair. Because they know there's no hope. And he brings not only this, it's a beautiful Kliokar, really worth learning. He says, it's in the beginning of the Parsha, not over here. And over there, he says, the for earlier generations who knew Mashiach is not coming in their generations, they would become completely demoralized. And then he goes on and he brings from the Akeda. Again, from where he says that it's the same idea. And he says that it is so important throughout history that Jews feel that they don't belong in the nations. That they don't settle down in countries and feel that they belong in this place. This is their home. That a Jew should always be longing. His heart, his soul, his heart should be always in Yerushalayim. Every moment he should be aspiring, waiting. Hashem, when are you taking us back again? If we would have had the information that the Golos is going to take so long, we would have never, ever, ever, we would have gotten, we would have settled into the exile and we would have become part of the nations that were there. But because Jews always believe that Mashiach is coming momentarily, any moment, because of that is what kept them separate and it kept them excited. And he says, that is so vital for Jewish existence and for Hashem wants us to want to come out, Mashiach to come. We have to live with that all the time. And that's why, had Yaakov revealed it, it would have ruined that. But that, again, brings us back to the question. I understand now why God pulled it away from him, but why? Yaakov must have had a reason why he wanted to do it. And to make the question even stronger, Yaakov is not just wanting something. When Yaakov wants to something, it's because God wants it. Yaakov has no will of his own. We spoke earlier that the the, the our forefathers, the patriarchs, they were the Merkava. They're the chariots. And in Tanya he explains that, what does it mean a chariot? A, cha- a vehicle. A vehicle has no will of its own. Every movement of a vehicle is to serve the rider. Yaakov did never move even one limb. I saw something very extreme. I know, I, I, I'm going to admit that this is extremely extreme, <laughs> but it is exciting. I saw an extreme word from a pinches of Karetz, and the great Sadiq, great Hasidic master. He asked a question last week in the parsha. How come Yaakov never discussed with Yosef? How did you get here? I mean, he has a reunion. He lost a son for 22 years, and it and it, say, and it, and it says the medrash or the, the, the said that Yaakov never knew that Yosef was sold. So if Yaakov didn't know when Yosef was sold, I mean, there's a dispute about it. Some say Yaakov did find out in the end. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. But 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 if Yaakov never knew, wouldn't it make sense that Yaakov and Yosef would go sit down at Starbucks and have a little coffee together and coffee bean and discuss, say, what's better? <laughs> how is life the last 22 years? How are you doing? How would you get over here? And we don't find that Yaakov ever did that. To find out all the information. So there are pinchas of Kar, it says, you think that Yaakov is an ordinary person that speaks words? You should know the only words that came out of the the mouth of the Ovech was only Torah. Whatever they said is Torah, and besides those words, they didn't speak anything. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. I, I think it's extreme. Because I know all women will say, come on, he didn't speak to his wife. He didn't say anything. What do you mean? He was married. I'm telling you what Erpintus of Koran says. And he says, he says that's the meaning by Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, Ela hadvarim ashadibar Moshe." These are the words that Moshe spoke. This comes to teach you that these are the words that Moshe spoke. And besides these words that are written, he didn't say anything. Because a tzaddik doesn't just talk, he doesn't talk, narishkeit. does talk? talk, he does he talk about the news, about the weather. So what's going on? How are you doing? What do you think about the weather? Oh, it's nice. It's going to rain. It's going to... Okay, <laughs> it's good for us. What does it have to do with the tzaddik who's a Merkava? He's a chariot to God. So besides this, he says he didn't speak anything. In any case, back to what we're saying. If Yaakov is a Merkava to Hashem, and as a result of that, there is nothing in his, in his being that is not the will of God, that means the will to reveal the gates is also the will of God. So we need to understand what is the will why would there be a will of Hashem for Yaakov to reveal the? Uh, why would it be if if the gullus if this is something so far off? So I must say there is a very very beautiful ideas explained in Chassidish Asfarim. I saw this in the Mar of hashemish and also in the, the, the Oyvios Rahl the Apterav when they say something Givaldic. But this is not the simple pshat. Now I'm going to come back to the pshat for a moment. But I just want to pause with this. They say that when Yaakov wanted to reveal the cates doesn't just mean he wanted to reveal a kates that's going to happen a long time from now. They say Yaakov actually wanted to bring Mashiach. And he felt that with his sons together, they can make it happen. So when Yaakov, when it says, Bikish Yaakov, it doesn't mean to reveal the date. It means he wanted to reveal Mashiach, legalis, to reveal as a kates, that which is going to happen three and a half thousand years later, Yaakov wanted to make it happen then. Yaakov wasn't going to stand for this gallus of, of 3,500 years. He didn't like this. He wasn't going, he wasn't okay with it. So he says to the children, according to the Mar v'Shamish, Rabbi Kleimanis Kalman, one of the great students of Krakow, one of the great students of the Holy Rebbe the Melech of Lazensk, one of the classics of Chassidish him. So he says something really beautiful. He says, us will gather... It means prepare yourself, prepare yourself, purify yourselves. Not just gather, because he uses he proves that the word gathering means a preparation of purification. So gather, purify yourselves. And he brings from the Zohar. The Zohar says that if one base Hamedrish, if one small community would do tshuva the way they're supposed to, they would bring Mashiach for the whole world. Makes sense with what the Labavat Rebbe was begging. In 1990, where he said, If I only had 10 Jews who would cry out with an MS, with the truth, Ad Mosai, where is Mashiach? We want him now, Mashiach would be here already. The basis of that is what the Zohar says. If even one community would do tshuva, a complete tshuva, Mashiach would be here. So Yaakov wanted his children to be that community, to be that minion. They were obviously not just a minion, they were the minion of all minions, these Sadiqim. So he told them, And the word, means, And I will draw down. Agida is, when a river flows, it's called Nugget, it goes down. I will transmit, That which is going to happen in the end of days, let me capture it now. Let me draw it down for you right now. But in the end, the shechina went away from it. It wasn't meant to be. And therefore he lost it. So based on that, I understand, okay, he wanted to bring Mashiach. It's not that he wanted to tell them a later date. The Oiv Yisrael, the Aptarov says similar, but he says words that are really, really worth, really worth hearing. He speaks about the great secret of the redemption that when Mashiach is going to come, it goes into it a little more Kabbalistically, related a little bit to what I spoke in the last few classes. That when Mashiach comes, the moon, the attribute of Malchus, the Jewish people, is going to rise now. The Shechina is the lowest of all ten attributes. She's at the bottom. When Mashiach will come, the woman of valor is going to be the crown of her husband. That means the attribute of Malchus is going to rise above all the other spherot, into Kesar, into the crown. Whoever wants to have a better understanding of this, join the Thursday night class that we learned the last three weeks. I'm telling you, it's crucial stuff to learn. Bada b'shalim. Gotta hear those shiurim. It's a few hours, it's a commitment. But it's going to mamish change your entire perception of reality. But over there we discuss what this means, that Malchus has to go up in its source to receive from Kesar, from the crown. That's Mashiach's coming. The inner, the highest... And 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 Yaakov wanted to accomplish that, aliyah Malchus, up up to the source. He says that's the meaning of the pasuk we quoted earlier, Nachon Yia Har Beis the mountain of the house of God. That's Malchus. Malchus is called a house, like a woman is called a house. So Har Beis Hashem, the house of God, is the attribute of Malchus. Beroish Harim on top of mountains. Mountains is Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The others are called mountains. They are chesed, gavur, etiferes. They are the higher attributes. But Malchus is going to rise even higher. She's going to go above them all when Mashiach comes. And this is what Yaakov wanted to accomplish. So who did he speak to? He spoke to the Shvatim. Because the Shvatim, they were all offshoots of the Shekhinah. As we know kabbalistically that the Shekhinah has 12, 12 channels through which he channels to the world. And it's hinted to in Shloma Melech by, the, by the, um, the Beis Amigdor. She had a pool of water. It's called the Yam Shel Shloma. It was surrounded by 12 animals. Golden animals. So these are the 12 Shvatim that are the branches of the Shekhinah. And Yaakov tells them, Ha'asvu, gather yourselves together. Agida Ha'aschem, I'm going to connect you into what's going to happen in the end of days and I'm going to elevate you to that great aliyah in other words the obvious Israel says he was ready to give them certain yichudim certain permutations which will elevate them and the shechina up to the highest basically he wanted to give them a shortcut that we don't have to go through the exile that was Yaakov's plan problem is he says you know why this is, this is, this is in a, it's frightening but it's also so special he says, the The desire of the Creator of all worlds wants blessed is He and blesses His name. dafka that this great elevation should precisely be Kabolas through us accepting the yoke of exile, v'svolei sayasurin and ba'ava, that we should go through the, and accept upon ourselves the suffering with love, vayyaday birur ani tzutzem akdoshim, and through our rectification of all the sparks of holiness, al yaday through the exile, the and the suffering, vayyusurim and the and the pain, vayyaday mesiras nafesh al kadosh this is accomplished also through the self-sacrifice literal of Jews giving their lives to martyrdom throughout history. Yisrael, And this will lift the Jewish souls up to the greatest unimaginable heights, and therefore there are no shortcuts. Yaakov wanted to do it according to the Or Yisrael, according to the Or of the, want he basically wanted to push Mashiach, so he wanted to circumvent the whole thing, it didn't work. Okay, so this is his explanation. But according to Pshat, what, what could be Yaakov's reasoning to want to reveal to the Jewish people when the Gullus is going to end? So the, again, here, the best place to turn to is to a person whose entire life was dedicated to the bringing of Mashiach, and that's the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And in a talk that he gave, he explains really what was going on, what Yaakov wanted to do. And he says, he says, a really interesting answer. He says that why Yaakov was going to tell them the Kates and why there was something that could have been beneficial to them was because he brings from a few Medrash Echazal, from a few Medrash, and from the Zohar, especially from the Zohar, and I looked up the Zohar, it's a fascinating Zohar, I, I don't have time to quote you the Zohar, the whole thing, but the Zohar says in Parshas Pinchas, that when the Jews went out of Egypt, had they merited, had they been focused, had they been doing the right thing, they would have merited, God desired, these are the words of the Zohar, God desired to take them to the land of Israel, and plant them over there like angels, like angels, with pure holiness, and Hashem wanted to bring them down, a Hamikdash of fire from above, and that Hamikdash would never have been destroyed, and it would have lived on forever, because it would not be the building of flesh and blood, it would be the building of God Almighty Himself. And a Hamikdash like that could never be destroyed. But instead, because of whatever reason, and initially, and it's a long passage of Zohar where he goes on to speak about the quality of a Beis Amigdash that's built not by Barnash, not like by a human being which doesn't have any lasting... He says, Shlomo Amelech knew the secret. When Shlomo Amelech built his base on Migdash, he knew the frailty. He knew that it's not going to last. And that's why Shlomo Amelech says, It's Tavana Amelech says it, but it's a, If Hashem is not going to build it, in vain. The builders are building, but it's not going to last. Shlomo knew that. It wasn't going to last. But they could have, initially, God's intention was to do that. Because they sinned by the eagle and by the golden calf. They lost this opportunity. They came into Eretz Yisrael. It was a human structure. They came back with Ezra, the second base of It was a human structure. And only the third base of He says, not only is the base of going to be a godly structure, all of Jerusalem is going to be built up by God. A higher building than it is now. It's going to be constructed by Hashem. And therefore, it's never going to be destroyed. Chaza, that's Zohar. But it's also in Chazal, the Gemara says, and I think it's a Gemara, where the Gemara says, and also a Medrash in Shmois, by the story of the, of, of the Ego, it says over there clearly, that what does it mean, that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu the luchos, and the luchos were charos carved. The Medrash says that the word carved, you should read Cherus. Cherus means free. Had the Jewish people received the first peer of Luchos, there wouldn't be any. Ein in no nation would have any power over them. That. that means we would have never gone into exile ever again. Even though, according to this, so it comes out according to this, even though already by Avram Avinu Hashem notified Avram Avinu that there were going to be more than one exile the Gullus of Mitzrayim, and then they was supposed to be followed with another four exiles. It's hinted to when Hashem, by the Brisbane apsarnum, when Hashem tells him to cut up all the animals, and also that a great darkness came upon him. And the Medrash says that that is hinting to all the Golis, all the potential Golis. So we know there was still a long road ahead for the Jewish people. We could have beat all of that had we done the right thing. And therefore, there was always a possibility. So, therefore, in the days of Yaakov, the Rebbe says, the Lubavitch Rebbe says something really powerful. When the, talking about the Kates, in the days of Yaakov, the end of days, what did the Kates mean? The Kates at that time meant that when you're going out of Mitzrayim, it's going to be a eternal, an, e, an eternal redemption. So, when it says that Yaakov was going to reveal to his children the Kates, it doesn't mean he was going to reveal to children what's going to happen in 5777 this year, so many years later. What Yaakov was going to reveal to the Jewish people was that if they're worthy, they can, they can they can, skip all the four horrible exiles that are to follow and put an end to all of that. And as a result of that, and complete it all when? With the going out of Mitzrayim, it would be... An... And even though that, oh, <laughs> that kind of... Takes the punch out of it. That's like, oh, come on. That's the big secret that he wanted to reveal? Like, it loses the whole thing. Like, whoa, the great mystery. He says, yes. Because you can argue, say, well, that's not a secret. The Jews knew how long the exile was. Hashem told Avraham, it's going to be 400 years. And the Jews knew about it. So, so but see, but, but what, what the Jews didn't know, what the Jews didn't know was that this geula can be the end, can be the end, end. end. And that's what Yaakov wanted to reveal to his children. That if they will keep themselves the way they should, and serve God the way they should, they should not let themselves, God forbid, for the impurities of Egypt to be able to affect them deeply, they will be able to finish, complete the entire job, and not have to continue the treacherous dark road of exile for thousands of more years. That's what Yaakov wanted to reveal. Now what would have been the benefit? Now we understand that would have been very beneficial. Because if you know that you can save from yourself, your children, your grandchildren, endless misery and suffering, you can do away with all of that and put an end, and all you need to do is to try your best, and try extra hard, that would have been an incredible inspiration and motivation to help the Jewish people do what they need to do quickly, and for them to remain on a high spiritual level so they shouldn't have to have the other Goliaths. so now we can understand that was a perfect legitimate thing that Yaakov wanted to say to them this would have been very important knowledge and you can't say well even that is 400 years so first of all it's possible that the Jews knew that the 400 years you can start counting from when Yitzchak was born like it really was Hashem counted 400 years when Yitzchak was born so it's only 210 years and someone can argue and someone say well 210 years that means for the first generation it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime because Yaakov, when Yaakov was dying, when Yaakov didn't die, when Yaakov was his, when he was moving on to a different form of existence, like Chazal, say, Yaakov, he was 17 years later, so it's still 193 years away from the, from the and an average span, even if someone lives long, it's 120 years. So the early generation, all those people know, they knew they are going to die in exile. Not necessarily. Because we know, this is a very interesting idea, because we know that in the end, God did chop off, 190 years, even though Hashem said 400 400 years, it says the reason why God chopped off 110 years was because they made up for the missed years with their excruciating labor. Since the labor was much harder than initially was planned, so that sped up, that expedited the geula and brought the geula earlier. So the Rebbe says an interesting thing. If working harder and more suffering can expedite the geulah, obviously doing more mitzvahs and purifying yourself and, and and trying harder on the spiritual side can definitely expedite the exile. So, if you're talking about 210 years, and you tell people that if that this might be the end of days, and you're never going to have to do any suffering, and we're going to Hashem is going to take us through Shalayim, and we're going to live on happily ever after forever. And if you try hard, you might even knock off more time from that. Oh, now we understand why this case was something that Yaakov wanted to tell his sons. If so, we got to understand, so why doesn't God let him do so? So why was it taken away from him? And here's a very important thing. We know that without divine assistance, we can't accomplish anything. God has to help us. Chazal say, if Hashem doesn't help us, then we definitely would... We would stumble and we would sin. We always need Hashem's assistance in order for us to be able to what? In order for us to be able to uh, be a Yid, to be able to learn Torah, do mitzvahs, and, and abstain from doing sins. However, we need to know that there's two types of assistance. There is a very, very subtle assistance, which helps us. In other words, we get certain powers from above, and they trickle down into our soul, like little spiritual vitamins and nutrients, like drip, 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 drip. They're so subtle, we don't feel them. But they empower us. You wake up one day, you're inspired, because Hashem dropped a little inspiration into your soul. You don't even know where the inspiration came from. Suddenly, in the middle of the day, you have chas shalom, the bad temptation to do something wrong, and out of nowhere, you have the strength to say no. You don't have to take the credit for yourself. It could be that last week, Hashem dropped some antivirus in your soul. And it gives you the ability to refrain from doing an aver- then that assistance is a very good assistance because it's not overt, it's not open. Then there are times when Hashem lends a hand to us in a very open way where it's almost like a father seeing his son struggling can't uh, cross the street or can't uh, swim across the pool where the father takes the boy, puts him on his back and the father swims across and the boy is on the top. Uh, That kind of help is like extra help. Now that happens sometimes. For instance, the Rebbe says an amazing thing that on Shabbos and Yant, especially on Yom Kippur, God literally shakes our soul. He picks us up. We wonder sometimes, how was it that in Hashem Sarasya Maitchuva, I was I was such a good Jew? I can't even compare myself. Those ten days I'm like in one place and And the answer is Sarasya Maitchuva, Hashem is swimming along with us, picking each and every one of us, and carrying us through that most important time. There's a lot of divine assistance. And it's one that's Mamish felt. And the credit is not so much ours. The credit is coming a lot from above. That kind of assistance is nice, but it's not our credit. The whole purpose of exile is that God wants us to accomplish something in the dark. And He wants it to be our credit and our work. And if there would be too much assistance and it wouldn't be our work, mm, that's not it. And therefore, hear this tremendous idea. Had Yaakov Avinu told the Shvatim and his children, That in 210 years, if they work hard, they can complete the whole thing and save themselves. Everything, all the horrors that we discussed earlier, the Holocaust, the Inquisition, the Crusaders, the Destructions, the Romans, all that horrible pain and trouble. and All that we could have, if we would just behave, if we would have that clear information from our Zaydi Yaakov, that inspiration would be such a boost, would be such an assistance, that it would be credited for most of our success during the Gullahs. And it would not be our, really our work. It would be carrying us. That inspiration would carry the Jewish people. Now Yaakov felt it's worth it. Even though our work would not be so, so perfect, it's still worth it because we would still have redemption. God, however, wanted to have the best redemption. And because God wants to have the best redemption, God says, hmm... When you're doing your work and you're being assisted from above and it's not really your work, then the redemption that's going to come at the end is also not going to be the ultimate redemption. For the redemption to be the ultimate, best redemption possible, we need to do the work on our own and therefore it's better if Yaakov keeps the secret in his own heart and he doesn't reveal it to us. And that's why in the end this secret was not revealed for the Jewish people. I do want to conclude and say like this. One more thing he adds, but one thing we have to say, that if Yaakov wanted something, is a sign that when a wants something, there's no such a thing that he wanted and it didn't happen. Ritzayin yirei avyase, the will of those who fear him, God does. When Yaakov wanted to reveal the cates, he did put it into the air. Even though he didn't reveal it in a revealed way, he did put it into the air which means he did give the Jewish people that throughout the darkness, the redemption is floating right on top of their heads. And Jews, if they want, are always able to jump onto that redemptive little, um, uh, 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 um, that, that redemptive uh, f- uh, uh, magical carpet, so to speak, and fly a little bit on it, a little bit. And that's why you have tzaddikim throughout the generation who revealed the gates here and there, secret, and it kept on lifting the Jewish people up. It's Yaakov's desire to reveal the kates that made the kates, the end of days, so tangible to the Jewish people throughout the exile. We were always able to lift our hands up and touch it. We can always feel it. We never can grab it. You see, it still didn't happen. We're always reaching for it. It's always elusive. But we are grabbing. When, when the tzaddikim say a kates, it's because they really are touching the redemption. And that keeps on prodding us on. That keeps on helping us. Not in a way like if Yaakov would have revealed it. Had He revealed it completely, it would have Mammish carried them. We would have been carried on God's wings. That would have been too much assistance from above. But well, we can still have it. Now I do want to say that all of that, however, is only true as long as we're not dealing by the time of the redemption. Right now, and it, 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 it's frustrating me very much, that we go on the street, it seems like people are numb and, are, and literally are clueless about what's going on. I don't know what words to use besides the fact that I am absolutely sure and certain that we are in the midst of the greatest redemption ever. This is happening. Hevra, I, I want to say I promise, because I, who am I to promise, but I'm telling you, we are now at the redemption without a shadow of a doubt. This week Sunday, and here's a little example. This week Sunday, the first time in history, a conference is happening in Paris. 70, hear this? You got it? Yeah. The Abishter is trying to be so clear to us. He's flashing lights in front of our eyes, saying, My Kindlech, listen, 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 Mashiach is happening. No less than exact, no less and no more. Look it up. Seventy nations are gathering in Paris to try to stop Yerushalayim from being the eternal capital of the Jewish people. Seventy. How many nations are there that are how many ministering angels are there of Khalipa? Seventy. They're all gathering together. They started in the UN. The issue is Jerusalem. It's the stop. And in America, we've seen the worst, worst, worst attempt ever. It's shocked. It shocked the Senate. It shocked the Congress. A president and his administration that have done something so horrible in such an insidious, insidious way. And I don't want to say because, you know, we're watching Chas horrible array, consequences of that. The justification of terrorists to do whatever they want because if we're in if the Kosala Amaravi is stolen territory, if anywhere that a Jew is in the in the old city is stolen territory, then why? Then of course they're full, And who 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 justifies it? The Secretary of State in his in his speech, Obama. It's horrible. And this is happening on the one hand. On the other hand, we had a miraculous nothing less than a miraculous election. Where everything turned out opposite than what was predicted. And again, I will say that if you listen to the shiurim that I gave in the last few weeks and put all the dots together, you will see clearly. And again, it seems to me, I can't predict the future and I can't tell you for sure, but it makes sense to me based on a lot of things that I've learned and I've been learning with you. I'm trying to share everything that I'm seeing that's inspiring me. That it would not be a shock to me that the, this secret alliance that there is between the Russian President Putin and our President elect Trump, ha, it seems to me that the two of them are the ones the, with the guts, with the nerve to Yiddish, you say, fife on the Gansavelt, to laugh and to just dismiss everybody and do what, what they want. And it's clear to me, I mean, what's the news today on the news? The son-in-law, the president-elect, is having the most prestigious position. A religious Jew who's got his head on straight, I think, I think, based on his wife and based on the choice of of secretary, uh, ambassador to Israel. I mean, unbelievable. And as I mentioned in earlier classes, Moshiach's coming must be involved from the world. It's not... Miracles from above. It's going to be miracles as well, but it's miracles working with the world itself. And if the nations of the, if the two most powerful superpowers in the world stand up and do the godly thing, which it seems like is happening, and on the other hand, all the other nations, including it's amazing, is including this administration. It's all part of the seventy because it's happening before January twentieth. So they're all part of that to gang up against Jerusalem, and who knows if there's going to be another UN resolution. This is mamish, a chesed of Hashem, because you know what, if anybody reads the Navi and sees about the wars of Armageddon, Gog and Magog, to destroy, and Tzadikim said that since much, since we suffered so much, we don't have to, chas go through the horrific blood and suffering of those days. So hopefully, it's so clear, that their decisions they're making over there, is the war against Jerusalem, it just has to be signed on paper, it's not Chas for going to, to affect anybody physically, harm anybody. We are witnessing and we are going to see the Geulah shalem. As someone mentioned to me today, they, that it, there has never been, they said, someone rise so quickly to power from nothing to such greatness like the president's son-in-law, who is a 35-year-old from <laughs> a religious Jewish, Orthodox Jewish boy, observant, and into such a power that they're giving him. There is something enormously godly happening in front of our eyes. And I think everybody should fasten their seatbelts because we're in for a ride over the next few weeks. I have no shadow of a doubt. Tell your friends and be inspired because how can we be asleep when Mashiach is coming? There's no doubt. So it's now it's no more a kates of a long time. We are now in the midst of the redemption. Yidden, yidden, let's, let's, let's not sleep at this time. Davin, learn, prepare yourself to greet Mashiach, at Kano. Think, am I, am I not embarrassed to stand of Mashiach? If there's anything I need to fix, we can fix it in an instant. Do tshuva, cleanse yourself. Davin, learn, become a better, more uh, vigorous, and, and vibrant Jew. And uh, it's really worth it. It's all about timing. And now is the time. <laughs>